Hello, everybody. I have the privilege of being with my good friend, Dr. Ron Highfield from Pepperdine University today. Uh, and we are going to, for the next couple of weeks, be talking about theology and particularly how we think through events like the one that we're currently going through. And so uh, Dr. Highfield has been a guest of ours at New Vintage Church uh, before live and uh, on stage with us on a weekend. But when it came down to this uh, particular subject, there's nobody better I could think of uh, than Ron Highfield. So Ron is a, a longtime professor at Pepperdine University. I was blessed to have him as a professor myself. And um, he is a, a good friend and, and does an outstanding job teaching students. And so we're gonna just have a conversation. And my hope is that this will help spur some of your own thinking and that it'll help increase your faith as we go. So uh, we are in interesting times, Ron, uh, to put it mildly. So uh, mm -hmm. when you first heard about COVID-19, what were your kind of initial thoughts and how have you just kind of started thinking through this process? Well, Tim, maybe this is not the occasion when I first heard about it, but when it first came home to me that it was going to affect my life <laughs> in a real way is when um, on a Wednesday uh, before the country basically shut down, uh, the university where I teach at Pepperdine announced that we were going to stop having in-person classes and we were going online. And so I walked into the class, the last class I could teach in person and knew that I wouldn't see these young people again in person and that I would have to shift everything over to online. So really my first thought was, how am I gonna do this? Yeah. <laughs> how am I gonna shift everything over and how am I gonna accomplish the goal? So I suspect that I was like a lot of people. It was more of a, a practical, how am I going to, how, work things out practically to live uh, with this huge transition. I mean, nothing like this has ever happened in my life before to make this kind of shift. So I, I think my first thoughts were just practical. You know, I remember when uh, I got the news, because I happen to be teaching this semester up there as well. And so I have mostly freshmen in that class. I was teaching Religion 101. And I got the email, you know, a couple of weeks out saying, hey, you may want to be ready to to, to go online if it, if it comes down to it. So have you ever done that before? And of course, I had never taught online, um, but there is a very big difference between uh, being you know live with people in person and being online. I'm very grateful, please don't misunderstand anything I'm saying in that regard. I'm very grateful we have this because if we didn't, if this was a generation ago, we would all be in a very interesting spot. I do wonder, um, you know, as a, as a teacher or a theologian, and, and then also just you're a churchman yourself. Uh, what, what's the difference between being online versus being face to face with a person? Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, I think there's a tremendous loss in terms of educating people um, because. Um, at least the way I teach and the way I teach in church and the way I teach in classroom, it highly depends on um, a rhetorical kind of relationship that I have with people. Um, my goal is to change people, to help them see things differently. 
and I, I think online it's it's easy enough I think to communicate information but I think there's a, a personal bond that you can't quite achieve uh, online um, although I have noticed one thing that is quite interesting and that is when as churches we get together online um, maybe you can't do this with a thousand person church but with a 40 50 or 100 people um, when you're seeing the screen in the gallery view and you're seeing all these faces and you're talking to them about an idea or you're hearing their prayer requests or you're hearing them make comments you're actually looking at their faces instead of the backs of their heads. And I thought, wow, that's interesting if we could have a live church in which we were looking at faces instead of the backs of heads. So that's a very new thing for me. Well, you've, you've, how long have you been teaching? I've been teaching at Pepperdine for 31 years. 31 years. So I was, uh, I was 13 when you started teaching there. <laughs> Sorry to rub it in, but uh, you know how these things go. I'm an old man myself these days, so uh, that's, that's just fine. I, I honor that, that tenure. That's really exceptional. And, and given the fact that you, you've taught religion of, of all stripes, basically, I mean, obviously mostly Christian things, but you've taught uh, the Christian faith. You've taught uh, classes on doctrine. Uh, you've taught, have you taught one-on-one, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, any of that? I did a long time ago. Yeah. Well, uh, you made it finally, and now you get to teach what you actually want to yes. uh, and yeah. help us think through this. So yeah. um, I think a lot of people out there are, are wrestling with exactly how do I think through a problem like this? And so I think that a lot just at the congregational level, some of it is the initial piece was panic. Yeah. Um, the and so when people start panicking, they they often just think about survival. That kind of part of their brain, that reptilian piece, kind of kicks in and says, "Yeah, how do I stay alive?" Um, and then after that piece, they began to think about, "Oh." It, then they started to move to questions of meaning, yeah. where I noticed, uh, "Okay, what? Why is this happening? How afraid of this should I be?" Uh, how then am I to serve my neighbor? How am I to, I meaning if this is really, really deadly, um, you know, at the congregational level, one of the insights, the, the ways that I knew this was becoming an actual big deal was we had some of our, our older folks that are critical to our, um, you know, our operation. I know that sounds really strange, but uh, in our church, which is pretty young by, by congregational standards, uh, our older folks are the heart and soul of the place. They really are. Uh, they, they are our most eager volunteers, especially in children's ministry, which is, is mm -hmm. wonderful because it creates this wonderful atmosphere of almost a, a grandparent's presence in there. But they start mm -hmm. calling in saying, hey, listen, until this is over, we probably can't participate in this. Mm -hmm. And knowing that for some of them, um, you know, they've known nothing but going to church their entire life. I knew, hey, there's something going on that they feel acutely threatened by this. So once a person was able to get past that and it became pretty obvious that, okay, we're going to probably end up shutting down. The universities are shutting down. Uh, when, when you got to that point where, okay, classes are canceled, the university takes this seriously enough to take this down. Okay. You, what was your thought process? How did Ron Highfield think through COVID-19? Um, okay. Um, 
Well, I, I feel like so people are in different places. And in my place, I'm an introvert anyway. I stay inside and I work on reading and writing. And I knew that it, if I didn't get sick with the disease, it wasn't going to change my life dramatically as much as it would change some people's lives. So um, I, I think different people in their life settings, you know, are going to react differently. I mean, they, they have different challenges. I mean, um, I'm, you know, an older person, but I'm not a super senior and I'm not in ill health as far as I know. So I, I didn't worry about my own health. I knew that I wanted to protect myself, um, but I didn't want to get myopic. There, there is a tendency in all of us to focus in a bad sense on just the problem of the day and not to back off and look at things from the big, big picture of things. Um, and I try to keep that in mind. Uh, again, I did not have an acute um, challenge. I, I'm okay financially. Um, I'm, we're okay in terms of our psychological health. And I want to be sympathetic with those who face greater challenges. Because if you face a greater challenge, then you have to intensely focus on, you know, coping with that challenge. I understand that. But it would be very healthy to, to back away and ask the bigger picture. Um, we had a church service the other night, which I led, and, and uh, we read the first chapter, first part of the first chapter of Ephesians. And my idea that I introduced it, I said, you know, the first chapter uh, of Ephesians paints the big, big picture from God's eternal uh, plan to God's fulfillment of that plan in Christ. And we're in the middle, we're in between, but we know the beginning that God thought about us from all eternity and he cares about us, he loves us, he plans to take care of us. We know how it's gonna end. Christ is gonna gather up all things and renew everything. We're in the middle. Let's just don't forget the, where it began and where it ended, where it's going to end. And, uh, you know, we can cope with the middle if we know the beginning and the end. What about, you know, pol the political solutions? I guess there's an impulse for people to think we can fix this somehow. Yeah. Um, you know, that, they, that if, if, we, if we just did this or we institute this policy solution or we just did this, that uh, we still remain fairly confident in our own devices, uh, I think, in terms of, of how people see this. So I guess one, one question might be just, um, you know, as a Christian theologian, um, yeah. what's, the what's the role of the polis in all of this? Yeah. Um, help people think through that. Okay, all right. Well, uh, I, I think it would be, it's probably a human fault that we do trust in our own um, wisdom and our own science and our own power to solve any and every problem. And 
I think sometimes a, a challenge like this reminds us that that's not really true. Uh, we don't, we can't uh, control everything. Um, and I think this pandemic brings that home to us. I don't want to rub people's noses in that. I don't want to, you know, make a big deal out of that. Other than it's good to realize that we are limited uh, and that we, uh, we do have, uh, we do rely on, on God to take care of us. Um, but on the other hand, um, you know, I believe in working for a living. I believe in uh, taking, putting your seatbelt on, uh, doing what we can. And I don't think that's a lack of trust. I think that's just using the reason and the wisdom that God has given us. But I think using it and trusting in it are two different things. We trust God and we use the gifts he gives us to get along in this world. But in the end, it's God who is in, in control of how things finally turn out. So yes, um, yeah, there are certain problems, I think obviously that uh, no one individual can deal with and that the whole community, maybe even the whole world have to cooperate on to deal with. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just think it has its limits. And, and you know, what, what it leads to if we trust in it is we end up looking for someone to blame. And I, I hear a lot of blaming and second guessing and uh, armchair quarterbacking. And I generally just simply turn that, <laughs> those programs off because I don't think that's very helpful. I was on a phone call yesterday with uh, a county supervisor here in San Diego and a group of faith leaders. And we were talking about the, the essentially the, the subject of the ethics of what's a current movement um, afloat here in California. There's a pretty sizable chunk of churches that feel like their, um, maybe their existence, their theology, and perhaps their, their uh, rights have been, um, trampled on here and they're they're wanting to just basically say we're going to reopen on may 31st uh, come get us okay so that's that's the uh approach that some of them are taking now i'm, I'm oversimplifying their perspective yeah. um and so on that call there was a woman roman catholic uh woman who was talking about the absence of being able to take the eucharist for, for roman catholics for instance mm -hmm. and how for them this was extremely difficult because they hadn't necessarily invented ways to uh, be able to do that uh, in, a, in a way that was allowable by the state uh, to the state. And I think the, the, she said in the call, she goes, you know, for us, this is about our salvation and in things. I mean, it was, it was really a fairly poignant moment. And you could see on her face that she was uh, very tormented about this. And so there's always going to be this, this ethical wrestling that goes on, I think, for a church leader between Okay, I want to be supportive. I want to honor leadership. I want to respect the authorities. Uh, at the same time, uh, where, is there a limit there somehow? Um, there have been some false dichotomies, I think, drawn up in different circles mm -hmm. between you're either pro-science or you're, or you're not. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you, you're not really able to question uh, science without uh, because it's, to some, the, the only certain thing we have, which... I think people who actually know science well uh, understand that you often get 
a lot more questions, the, the more in-depth the things you get in the science that there's always a piece of it that's about exploration. It never really, you know, oh, okay, solve that one, we're, we're done. Um, and, and, and then there are some who would argue that what we're going through is a, is a perfect illustration of the limitations of science, not, not proving it. So it just depends on how you see it. I, where I'm going with this is, uh, do you have any thoughts for people about how to think through the issue of, okay, when is the right time to reopen? Or when might the right time be? Meaning, if we think, is it when when any human life is no uh, no longer under any assault? Is it uh, when the government says so, regardless of when they say it? Meaning, if mm -hmm. if uh, for instance, in our case, Governor Newsom says, "Hey, um, churches will be safe to open in 2025," um, is that <laughs> it could happen? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but yeah, let's say that happened, right? What, what, what is there? What, where is that line, and how do we wrestle with how to to what to do? Well, first, let's, let me address the theological issue, because I think some people mistake, um, you know, meeting in the way we're accustomed to meeting uh, for their Christian duty, and uh, that, and they mistake that for the essence of what it means to be the body of Christ, and. I think if we people think about that a little bit, they, they, they can see that that is not true, that in the early church, the earliest church was often persecuted and was often meeting in a semi-secret, if not completely secret. And uh, I'm sorry for uh, Roman Catholic people who miss taking the, the Eucharist and, and participating in a mass, but as um, those who look to the New Testament church for our model, I mean, we know that we are all priests and that the, the communion with the Lord is uh, not something that you have to have a, a, a apostolic succession of priesthood going right back to the first century you know, in the Roman Catholic way, in order to participate in a communion with, with the Lord. So I think we don't have to, I don't believe we have to think of uh, not being able to attend a physical uh, church um, as a persecution. Now, it, it could be, there could be some sinister motives here, but I, I, I'm thinking theologically, we don't have to think that that's the hill for us to die on. If we're commanded to never take communion and never meet together as the body of Christ and never invoke Christ, or it becomes against the law to believe in Christ or preach Christ, then, then that is something we cannot acquiesce to. But I don't think just a temporary cessation of meeting in public is something that we have to be worried about in terms of forsaking Christ or, or destroying the church. Now, if you want me to comment on the, 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 the getting back together and the science. Yeah, absolutely. I, I hear a lot of people, and this is not just on this subject, say, you know, we believe in science, we believe in facts, we believe, you know. But the thing is, when they say we believe in science, they're talking about medical science that describes how disease works and how it spreads and uh, other things. But there are many other facts 
there are economic facts, there are psychological facts, there are um, many other factors other than the narrow view of how a disease spreads. So it's not a matter of like choosing one life over, uh, over money, but it's a matter of from a public policy, certainly I'm not speaking authoritatively on public policy, but, but it's a matter of balancing harm, whether it's harm physically in a, caused by a disease or harm psychologically or physically or in drug abuse or alcohol abuse or, or all sorts of other fallout uh, from uh, shutting down. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a false dichotomy um, by just saying, if one person dies because we meet in, you know, thousands, millions of people meet, then it's too big a price because it, it's, there is no path forward where there is no harm done. I mean, getting in your car, um, walking down stairs, we can't simply, I believe we simply can't curl up in the corner in a fetal position. Well, that's good. I agree with you. I don't think we should do that. I, I guess where, where I'm coming from is the, the one question. I mean, I was just literally right before this, I was on a, uh, a call with some, um, some pastors from uh, uh, within Churches of Christ mostly, uh, but also from outside Churches of Christ uh, at a, a, a neighboring institution to Pepperdine. And they, uh, we were talking a little bit about some of those questions, and it seems to uh, that yesterday I was on another one, uh, primarily pastors from independent Christian churches, and the question becomes, okay, when are you going to reopen? And basically, mm -hmm. where's your tipping point where where you realize, okay, hey, look, because uh, nobody wants to be the church that opens up and that somebody gets sick and dies. That I think there's a general sense of that. But then the question becomes, well, when is that ever going to be the case? Right. So where's the line? And the line was drawn uh, as we sit here. This is uh, May the something. Uh, I want to say it's like the 13th or something. So. Mm -hmm. um, and so there, the line was drawn from uh, we're opening up. Uh, we're doing drive-in services this weekend, uh, like old school drive-ins did, uh, to the uh, May 31st. We're going to join that movement. of uh, there, there are thousands, actually, of churches that are mm -hmm. planning to do that. So... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that, that's, and then we're, we're not going to be a part of that, but there are others uh, that are, and then some are like, we're not even going to think about it till the 4th of July. Others are saying, we'll see you in the fall and we're just going to stay online and just keep doing it. Uh, is there, do you have any thoughts just, and this is, I guess, part theologian, part churchman yeah. on your part, uh, you know, how would, how would one go about discerning when it's appropriate to reopen? Mm -hmm. Um, well, I get the feeling that it's not just churches that are in this bind of who wants to be the first to venture forth and then take a chance that they will be blamed for some harm that comes from that. I, it just seems to me like politicians are doing this. Governors are concerned, uh, uh, county officials are concerned. And so in that, that sense, from a, somebody is going to have to be brave and take a risk uh, at some point. And therefore, 
I sort of admire people who are pushing it a little bit. Um, if I were a church leader, I would want to um, take care to have the proper precautions for vulnerable people, those who are especially vulnerable. Um, I'm, I'm in that age group. I'm 69 and, or, well, nearly 69. And uh, so I would, I would be hesitant. Uh, I would probably go back, but I would want some distancing and I would want uh, people who are sick to stay home. So I would want some caution until uh, the worst of the pandemic uh, ends. But I think that um, as long as those are precautions are taken, I would be maybe not the I'm not a first adopter for anything, for technology or anything. I might not be the first. <laughs> I admire those who are the first. And I would probably be somewhere in the middle <laughs> okay. in terms of venturing out. But I think we've got to do it. We've got to, we can't just be so scared that we never do anything again. It's a really uh, interesting debate to have with fellow Christians who, um, and again, usually you get these binary kind of falsely dichotomous kind of suggestions like, well, you're, look, you're either, are you saying that your health is more important than the gospel or you, or on the other side, you get, um, oh, what you're saying is money is more important than people's lives. Yeah. No, that, that, I'm not saying that either. I think, uh, you know, that, that there is some point where you just have to use the full scope of your, yeah. your reason as best you can, understanding that we could get this wrong. If we do, what are the consequences of that? Uh, if we're right, what are the consequences of that? Um, but as we look at things like, um, why is this happening? Uh, and, and, and again, part of this is when you're, when you're 69 years old, like you are, and you're, you've been teaching this for a long time, or in my case, 25 years of doing ministry and mm -hmm. um, looking at things and, and, and trying to go, okay, what when the subject of why is this happening coming up, if you're a freshman, like I had in the religion 101 classes, uh, it becomes, uh, you know, uh, I had to not take my classes live. So there, maybe there's not a God, you know, almost kind of like everything's huge. Uh, I didn't get to walk in my graduation ceremony. So um, where is God, you know, yeah. versus somebody who's older in the faith who, who maybe has been through quite a bit, you know, yeah. tools for thinking through the, where is God in this? Yeah. And, if this is because this is going on, is this an argument for or against the existence of God? Yeah. Yeah. And those are two fairly weighty questions. So um, yeah. I'll give you a moment. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I think, again, I began my comments with saying it seems like in the moment, the challenge, it's sort of like this has never happened before. It's new. Um, but it's not. I mean, there, there has always been uh, suffering and death and challenges and wars. Um, and these questions come up every time. So I, I think the, the thing to do is get some distance from it. Um, because we were never promised that life was, you know, that our physical life is always going to be joyful and thrilling and without any problems. Um, I think Jesus said something like, uh, in this world you shall have trouble. 
but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And so, wow, I mean, Paul talks about our light and momentary afflictions working for us an eternal weight of glory. Uh, and when you read 2 Corinthians 10, uh, Paul's light and momentary afflictions, wow, I've never been through anything, any one of those, much less all that entire list. So Paul could, he could see beyond the moment, and he found something in each moment to, uh, if, if, if nothing else, hold on in faith. Uh, for as again, he says in 2 Corinthians, we walk by faith and not by sight. And when we ask the question, why, of course that question comes up. Uh, and of course, God knows um, why. But I think it would be a mistake for us to think we know uh, why, or we could designate uh, something as a, um, a, a punishment by God uh, for certain reasons. Uh, no, I think we just have to take it as something we're called on to endure. It, and in that time, be compassionate to others, um, be trusting to God, and work our way through it because it will end. And it will get better even in this life. I'm convinced of it. So I think, again, it, it sounds trite, but we just simply have to hold on to our trust that God is good and God cares for us. Um, the problem of evil uh, doesn't prove there's no God, but it certainly proves that we don't have the mind of God. We can't see the big picture. But again, we, we, we have some things to hold on to. I mean, Jesus is risen. We just had Easter, um, and Jesus is risen. Uh, the challenges of life, even death itself, is not going to separate us from the love of Christ. And so sometimes when I'm thinking this way, I think of the worst-case scenario. I mean, the worst-case scenario given my faith, and that is I'm, I'm dying alone in a ditch in a thunderstorm. What would I have left? Well, I would have exactly what I have right now. God's love for me. That's all I have now. That's all I have in good times. That's all I have in bad times. That's at the end of the day, that is my only reliable thing to hold on to.